The Talk Shop. Thank you very much, Mr. Sam Marshall. A very good evening to you and welcome to the talk shop this evening. It is coming to you from the University of Johannesburg. We are at the National Research Foundation's Science for Society lecture and I am Masichaba Mdolo. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. The National Health Insurance Green Paper was published in August 2011 and says the NHI is set to be implemented in three phases over a 14-year period. The NHI is a financing system that will make sure that all citizens are provided with essential health care regardless of their employment status and ability to make a direct monetary contribution to the NHI fund. According to the Department of Health, in the first five years of the NHI, the government will focus on strengthening the health system, improving the service delivery platform and policy and legislative reform. But what will be the impact on the public and healthcare sectors? And that is the question that we're asking tonight. Is South Africa ready for NHI and the implications it will have on private and public healthcare? We're joined in the lecture theatre here at the University of Johannesburg by three speakers tonight. Normally we have two speakers as part of uh, the NRF Science for Society lecture, but tonight we've got three speakers. Professor Diane McIntyre is the South African Research Chair in Health and Wealth and Professor of Health Economics at the University of Cape Town. We're also joined by Professor Alex van den Heerver, Chair of Social Security, Policy Management and Administration at the University of the Witwatersrand. And uh, as a part of the panel is Professor Anna Nolte, Professor of Nursing Science, Faculty of Health Science at the University of Johannesburg. We're going to give our three key speakers a chance to make their presentations and um, once they are done, we will, as per usual, open up the lines and open up a Q&A session, that is a question and answer session, to our audience here in the lecture theatre with us tonight, and of course open to you as well. We are looking forward to hearing from you, getting your take on the National Health Insurance Fund on 0891-104-207. The number to dial to be part of our discussion is 0891-104-207, or you can SMS us on 34701 SMS number is 34701 and SMSs are charged at 2 Rand. Let's get right into it. Uh, open up to our first speaker, Professor Diane McIntyre. She has advised on healthcare and financing policy both in South Africa and other African countries, including currently contributing to the development of the National Health Insurance Policy in South Africa, and she serves on the board of the African Health Economics and Policy Association. She is a South African Research Chair in Health and Wealth and Professor of Health Economics at the University of Cape Town. Over to you, Prof. Thanks very much. Um, and thank you for inviting me and giving me this opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, the National Health Insurance. It's a, it's a great honor and I'm very pleased to be here. Um, so the question is, is South Africa ready for the NHI? And to me, in some ways, um, that's really not the first question we should be asking. I think the place that we need to start is by asking the question, do South Africans have access to quality health care at the moment? And my answer to that would be absolutely not. There are many, many South Africans who do not have good access to health care. 
Do we need change in our health system? And the answer to that, in my view, is yes. We need fundamental change in the health system. So why are we asking this question, is South Africa ready for NHI? And I, I think it's a, it's, it's a little bit of a strange question to me, um, but I think, you know, in asking, are we ready? Because we need change. We absolutely need change. And I think that the reason that questions like this are being posed is because there are a, 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 some fundamental uh, misunderstandings about what the NHI uh, is, is, is planning to do. And so what I'm going to try to do is just try to explain a few key issues. Uh, I know there's limited time, so I'm, I'm really just going to focus on, on one or two things. But my basic argument is that I do believe that the national health insurance can address the challenges that we have. And very often I hear a lot of negative comments about the NHI. Oh, it's unaffordable. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do... We can't. Well, my question then is, if not the NHI, then what? So I don't, I'm, I'm hoping that this discussion and debate is not going to be, oh, isn't it going to be a problem if X, Y, Z? What I want to know is, given that we do not have good access to health services for many South Africans, given that we need fundamental change in the health system, if it's not the NHI, I want somebody to put something else on the table, which will work and which will bring access to quality care for all South Africans. And I stress the all South Africans, because a lot of the proposals that have come up are going to benefit a few, and not every South African. So what is the NHI about? It's precisely about ensuring that all South Africans get access to quality care. And the key thing about the national health insurance is that it's about institutional change. It's about changing the institutions in the health system. Um, and we need that institutional change to ensure that there's improved efficiency, improved quality within the health system. And not only that we improve that, but that we are able to sustain it in the long term. Um, in the introduction, there was reference to the NHI Green Paper and the fact that it's laid out uh, a process and said that the first phase, the first five-year phase, is really focused very much on improving service delivery and improving the management, particularly of public sector health services. And there are a range of interventions which are already being implemented. Quite a lot of the emphasis is happening at the primary care level, which is clinics and community health centres, but there are also changes being introduced at, at hospitals. Um, given time constraints, it's not possible to go into all the details of what the Minister of Health and the Department of Health are trying to do. But just to mention a, a couple of things, um, the Department of Health is sending out what they call FITS teams or facility improvement teams, which are going to every single facility, clinics, hospitals, etc., working with the staff there, trying to identify what are the big challenges within this facility. Uh, are there problems with equipment? Are there problems with drug supplies? Are there problems with staffing? And how can we try to address those? Um, another uh, initiative has been the establishment of the Office of Health Standards Compliance, 
which is trying to set up um, uh, absolutely basic quality standards and trying to go around and look at all facilities and are they up to scratch and do they meet those basic minimum requirements. There have also been initiatives in terms of hospital management where the Minister of Health um, was, uh, had an initiative to try to ensure that every single hospital CEO has the necessary skills and the basic qualifications to be a good manager. There are training programs going on. So basically the Department of Health is not sitting back and waiting. They are initiating. Um, they are trying to make changes at the service delivery and, and management level. But you can't just have those sort of interventions. You can do them, um, you can improve things, but it ne you need to create a system where actually those kinds of improvements or, or good quality care can be maintained on an ongoing basis. And this is where you have got to have institutional change. And I think there's two types of institutional change that we're talking about here. The first one is that we need to be giving management powers and management responsibility to hospital managers. And for primary care services, we need to give that management power to the districts. At the moment, managers have very, very little decision-making power. So we say, oh, well, you know, this hospital is terribly managed. But actually, the manager, it's, it's like they're handcuffed. They're not able to make the decisions. Uh, they do not have the power to make the decisions that would ensure that their facility is properly run. So we need to go through a process, and it's not going to happen overnight. We need to start piling it, piloting it as a matter of urgency, start giving start delegating um, decision-making powers to managers within hospitals and also, as I say, at the district level. We need to then back that up with holding people accountable. So we need to put good governance mechanisms in place. So that's on the one hand, we need to empower managers within, who, who are within the health facilities. Then we've got to look at the other side. Um, and we've got to look at the institutions that sit with the money that we have for health services and that allocate those between different facilities and different services. And I'm going to use the term purchaser, but that is really fundamentally what the NHI reforms are about, is creating an institution that will be an active and a strategic purchaser of health services. And so there's, we, we're talking, there's been uh, talk about setting up a national health insurance fund. And I know the terminology insurance is quite confusing because people think that it's going to be a, an insurance scheme and people are going to have to contribute to it in order to benefit but that is not what um, has been proposed. The proposals have been that it would be tax-funded, but that the tax money would be given to the National Health Insurance Fund, which would be given responsibility for purchasing or buying health services for all South Africans. And 
I know the, the, the concept of purchasing might be um, somewhat unclear at this stage, so I'm going to try to explain what the role of the National Health Insurance Fund would be. First of all, I think it's important to, to say that it's been proposed that the National Health Insurance Fund will be an autonomous public institution. So it needs to be a public institution in the sense that it would be an institution that would act in the interests of citizens. It would act in the interests of the public good, not in the interests of shareholders or not in the interests of a very narrow group of individuals. It also would be public in the sense that it would be expected to report to Parliament. Autonomous. It's got to have, as with hospital managers, they need some autonomy to make decisions. And it needs to be autonomous in the sense that it's not subject to political interference and it's not subject to interference in day-to-day -day management. It, again, would need very strong governance structures. It does not mean to say that it's, it's an organization that can go off and do its own thing. There needs to be very good governance structures with a, um, a commission or a committee or a board um, where commissioners are se selected on the basis, they public, it's through public nominations, they're selected on the basis of their skills, um, not as specific interest groups, not representing groups of doctors or labor or whatever, but there because they have specific skills that can help ensure that the NHI fund does what it's supposed to do. Okay, so what would this NHI fund be expected to do? And, I mean, it's, it's like any other role as a buyer. Might, you know, you can think of someone who's an advertising buyer. The first thing that you would do is you would find out what the needs are of your client. And then you would work out how do you best meet those needs and go out and buy the advertising space in the most appropriate places, etc. So it would be very similar in relation to the National Health Insurance Fund. The first thing it would need to do would be to look at what are the major health needs of the population, all South Africans, and then use the funds that it has through active and strategic purchasing to ensure that people are able to access the services they need. So they would need to look at, all right, these are the needs of the population. What kinds of health services are going to meet those needs? We need to take into consideration that there might be limited funds. There are going to be limited funds. We will never have the amount of funds that we could spend on health services. So we need to find out what are the most cost-effective ways of dealing with different um, diseases, different service needs. Then it needs to look at who is going to provide these services. So it needs to actively look at what providers are out there, public and private, and choose the providers who can deliver the services that are expected and can do that 
um, can provide quality services. So that would be an accreditation function. It would say, okay, these are, we look at, at providers, um, see what kind of range of services they can provide, uh, and, and then they need to make their expectations clear to the providers that they contract with. What is the range of, ex of services we expect? Because, say for example, one wants to buy services from uh, private GPs. So, private GPs are critical at the primary care level. But currently, private GPs might not provide the range of services that we would expect them to do, to provide. So, for example, most private GPs never see anyone with tuberculosis and rather just dispatch people off to the public clinic. If they were going to be part of the system, and, and we have a major TB problem in South Africa, we need those providers to be providing TB services. Sorry, you can't pick and choose and say, I'll only provide these services. So that's part of the purchasing, is the active engagement with providers and saying, this is what we expect. This is the range of services we expect. There might be a very explicit uh, indication in relation to quality of services that are expected. Um, there might be limitations that need to be provided and, and say, look, you know, there are thousands of particular interventions. There are thousands of different drugs out there that could be used to treat um, a specific disease. We've looked at the evidence. The most cost-effective way of treating this particular disease is to use this particular drug. So we might restrict it to a specific formulary. Um, so there might be those kinds of, of um, specifications as well. And then they also need to make very clear to providers what the consequences are of not delivering. Um, so all of those um, issues are really important in terms of active purchasing. And then one of the critical things that the National Health Insurance Fund has got to do is change the way in which healthcare providers are paid. At the moment, in the public sector, hospitals, clinics, etc., are given budgets. And they're told, there's your budget, you can spend, etc., etc. This is not encourage efficiency. In the private sector, private providers are paid on a fee-for-service basis. Every service they deliver, they get a, paid a fee for it. This doesn't encourage efficiency. It encourages over-servicing and um, it contributes to uh, massive increases in, in expenditure. So that is really fundamental, is changing the way in which providers are paid. So the National Health Insurance Fund would have a massive role. Um, and, and from my perspective, that is really what the NHI is about, is about institutional change, about having a National Health Insurance Fund as an active or strategic purchaser. It's the number one reform that I believe we need within the health system at the moment. We're not doing a good job at the moment, either in the public sector or in the private sector, in terms of promoting efficiency, promoting quality, promoting access to health services. Um, the, 
the, the other part of the question is what are the implications of the NHI reforms? Um, so just very briefly, because I'm running out of time, I think there will be a massive improvement in the quality of public sector health services, both through the initiatives that are happening now in terms of improving service delivery and management, but also through the institutional reforms. In terms of the private sector, I think it is important to recognize that the National Health Insurance Fund, which purchased from public and private providers, so private providers are not going to be out of a job. Um, pressure might be applied to them in terms of what kinds of costs, the, uh, fees they want to charge, um, but they will actually be given the opportunity to serve a much greater portion of the population than they currently are. Um, just in relation to medical schemes, people say, so is this going to do away with medical schemes? No. Medical schemes, in a way, are going to be untouched. I think in, from a legislative perspective, they will continue to exist. But I think that schemes will adapt to the, the National Health Insurance Fund and say, all right, there's certain, if the National Health Insurance Fund functions well, people will be able to, they will be entitled to and will have access to a very wide range of good quality services under their NHI entitlements. And then people have a real choice. Do I need also to have medical scheme cover? At the moment, people don't have very much of an option. Sometimes, certainly for me, it's a condition of service. I have no option. I have to be a member of a medical scheme. I'm not terribly pleased about the amount of money that I'm paying to medical schemes. I'm not convinced I'm getting good value for money. But I will have a real option then. If I have good access to um, services through the NHI, I will have an option. Do I need additional cover? And for what? And as I say, I think that medical schemes will adapt to that context. Just one last quick thing that I want to say is that there's often um, a lot of discussion about is this affordable? And the, I, absolutely it's affordable. And what I think people don't understand is that creating the NHI is not writing a blank check. It is going to be tax funded. So the NHI fund will sit with the money that is allocated to it by National Treasury. It is going to have to cut its cloth according to the resource envelope. It will only have that money which it can spend. And that influences the range of services that are available and at what price those services are paid for. And I'll end there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Professor. Thanks a lot, Professor Diane McIntyre, who um, were clearing up some of the misunderstandings about what the NHI is all about and really uh, getting down to the nitty-gritty of how the fund will operate and what the role of the fund will be. And, of course, uh, the Deputy uh, Minister of Health, Dr. Gwen Ramakopa, has spoken about uh, the existence of medical aid schemes and how they will continue to exist and uh, that they will work hand-in-hand -hand with NHI, but really um, explaining what it is that uh, the money will be going towards, especially with regards to uh, providers and setting timelines for them and also penalties for non-delivery of services. Let's uh, quickly take a break and when we come back we're going to be hearing from our second speaker, Professor Alex Vandenhever. The Talk Shop.
This is the talk shop and we're coming to you from the University of Johannesburg. We're at the National Research Foundation's Science for Society lecture and the question on the table is, is South Africa ready for NHI and the implications it will have on private and public health care? I am Masichabam Dolo and you're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's hand over to our second speaker, Professor Alex van den Heever, who is Chair of uh, Social Security Policy Management and administration at the University of the Witwatersrand. He worked as an advisor to the Council for Medical Schemes and in an advisory capacity to the social security policy processes, including the Department of Social Development, the National Treasury, and the Interdepartmental Task Team on Social Security. Over to you, Prof. Thank you, and, uh, and good evening, and thank you very much for, uh, for organizing this discussion. I think one of the useful things about this kind of um, discussion is that one can actually raise a number of um, alternative positions that do need to be debated out. I think that all too often one of the problems I've found with the national health insurance process is it is essentially a, uh, a very, very stagnant process in which there are very few debates on what is actually going on and alternatives that would need to be discussed in terms of overall reform. And I think I'll, I'll bring up, I think, a number of issues, um, areas where I would, for instance, disagree with Di, but I think major areas where I would disagree fundamentally. And I think they represent points of departure which do need to be debated in terms of South Africa's health systems reform. Health systems are very complex. They're not simple, and people can reduce them to kind of cartoonish versions of health systems reform, which seem plausible. But the reality is... For things to work, you do have to get down to the detail of the uh, specifics of particular proposals. And um, if, we, I would, if we had to, for instance, examine a number of the key objectives around national health insurance and what it's intended to do in terms of the establishment of a central fund and the proposal that it is, a, uh, it is an institutional reform primarily, um, that... The, the key question that has to be asked is, is that the institutional reform that deals with the institutional problems that are before us at this point in time? So, for instance, if we had to look at the, uh, the provincial health expenditure since 2006 to the current period, we've experienced a, um, a, a roughly 40% per capita real increase in budgets allocated to uh, provincial departments. The, uh, over that period in time, most of the health departments, apart from the Western Cape, shifted from being in budget into chronic deficit, despite those radical increases. Now, one of the perp- reasons for those increases were very substantial increases in the remuneration of salaried staff within the public health system. You'd think that that's a fairly straightforward planning issue to resolve. And the question you'd ask is, why were the costs of staff increased so far in excess of very substantial budget increases over that period of time. Who was evaluating it? Who was planning it? So, and the consequence of that over a massive increase in costs has essentially meant that, that we squandered a very substantial budget increase that could have been used for resource improvement. So the question is, what happened there? Um, we look at a, uh, a further issue that we've seen over this, over this period in time. We've had um, our public facilities over the past 10 years, but particularly over the last six, have deteriorated substantially in their performance. 
largely due to governance concerns within the provincial administrations. And those governance concerns are directly related to the politicisation of the appointment of people who are responsible for running services. So the political appointment process, which fundamentally undermines good governance, is one of the primary reasons for institutional failure in the provincial health system. Now, um, when you look at the Green Paper for Health Systems Reform, which is the only point of departure anybody in this country has for looking at what anybody's proposing, you'll find that there is no proposal on governance reform, that there is no, no assessment of why the provincial health departments have actually failed to perform. There is no assessment of the financial, financial crisis that emerged since 2008 in the provincial health departments and why that occurred. There is no public information on how the government is actually attempting to deal with these various crises, which are largely being dealt with on an ad hoc basis at a provincial level. So those are some of the concerns that I'd have when I look at the current system. And the question is, why are those problems occurring and why are they not being resolved? Well, one of the things that you will see that is a very clear institutional problem is that there is an absence of any kind of coherent accountability framework within this health system. Now, let me make it clear what I refer to by an accountability framework. It would have four components. One is that you have some kind of performance benchmarks. The second is that you have complete transparency of performance requirements and benchmarks. The third is that you have supervisory structures which are independent of conflicts of interest. And the fourth is that you have compliance mechanisms which allow you to take action when people deviate from the performance that they should adhere to and that you've got bodies that can actually hold them to account. What that means is that when five babies die at a hospital, you have an independent inquiry into that process and the people who are found accountable for that are removed and the theatre is closed and the, uh, and, and the hospital dealt with such that there is a complete turnaround process by people who have no conflict of interest and can't be interfered with. Well, that is not what we see today. Now, when we talk about the Office of Health Standards Compliance, which is an accountability intervention that has just been introduced and I refer to that, the Office of Health Standards Compliance entire governance body and executive is appointed essentially by a Minister of Health. So you've got a process in which you've got a, a ministerial, a one minister appointing everybody in a supervisory structure. So it's a political appointment process, which if, you, if we look at the, the MECs appointing um, or getting involved in the appointment of hospital managers, when you've got people who are getting involved in the appointment of every single regulator in South Africa dealing with healthcare, there is not one example of an independent structure that, isn't, that is depoliticized that conforms to the kind of general outline that I mentioned for the so-called National Health Insurance Fund. So the question is, where is this proposed and uh, is there any actual understanding of what is required for good governance? And if it's understood, why is it not being introduced in the revived Medicine Control Council? Why is it not being introduced in the Council for Medical Schemes? Why is it not part of the revision of the Health Professions Council, the Pharmacy Council, and all of those structures which are supervisory structures responsible for regulating parts of the health system? So the issue is that these things are not part of public debates and discussions, and they're not actually part of any coherent reform at this point. To the extent that they're in anybody's mind, they're private and hidden in a document somewhere, and probably don't actually exist. So the issue about reform 
in the public health system and in the private health system is that it is very much about institutional reform. If you had a look at the performance of the public system in terms of outputs, in terms of its outcomes currently, if you had a look at just an indicator, which is a proxy indicator for health service delivery like maternal mortality ratios, South Africa's health system is potentially performing at equivalent to a country with 25% of our per capita GDP. That's our public sector. And that performance is unrelated to the level of expenditure that we have in our system. And the level of expenditure in total is not a good indicator of many things. Your costs could be extremely high. So, for instance, Brazilian doctors cost 50% of South African doctors. So, therefore, that affects their own resourcing. So, the, the issue is that we can't relate the performance of our health system back to expenditure. We can relate it to some other kind of indicator and institutional problem which needs to change. The question is, is that institutional change on the table and is NHI that institutional change? Now, the proposals that were put forward in the green paper, because again, that's all one has to look at, um, involved creating a national fund. There was no reference to a governance structure. The... Um, to the extent that anything has been indicated, it would be a chief executive appointed by the Minister of Health. And this fund would supposedly buy services, all services in the country, from the public sector and the private sector. Right, so let's look at that particular issue. Well, currently the provincial departments of health have the full powers to buy any services from the public sector and the private sector at this point in time. The question is, why don't they? What's wrong with their contracting platforms? And have we identified what's wrong with their contracting platforms? Because if we had identified what's wrong with their contracting platforms, quite probably they would be in a policy proposal as to how to improve our contracting with the public and the private sector. But what instead we see is that we've got people on salaried contracts moonlighting in the public sector. Right? The simplest contract to manage. Now we want to enter into contracts with the private sector which are more complex. We want to introduce capitation agreements where we've got private providers at a distance on the basis that they're accredited to enter into the system. But how would they be monitored for performance when we can't even monitor a public hospital or a public clinic? So we're actually talking about big systems changes that are requirements not necessarily for buying services from the private sector, but for buying services from the public sector, which are not in place. We have not identified in a single document how we are to correct those particular problems. Let's look at the further issue, budgeting. The uh, proposals have been made for quite a long time for the centralised resource allocation within the public health system. They were made very emphatically in the Taylor Committee of Inquiry in 2002, which I was part of. And part of the problem that was indicated was that the current framework, which, which failed to ring-fence allocations into the provinces, was creating systemic inequity in health service delivery between the provinces and potentially at a district level, and that needed to be restructured. Now, resource allocation is not purchasing, but it starts to stop a problem. If we start to look now at, the, at purchasing issues, then we have to look at how, how is, a, how is a, a, a budget allocated by a province to a hospital. Well, what happens currently is that a hospital doesn't know from year to year what allocation they're going to get because the fluctuations in budgets at a provincial level are unpredictable. And the people at the bottom of the system 
have no certainty of their allocations and there is no proper process that is followed for the determination of their budget. There is no contract between the province and the hospital which you will find in many public systems where you will have a five-year agreement which agrees on the services and it agrees on the allocations and it will agree on the performance indicators. This is not an emphasis on just the performance indicators. Budgeting is about the inputs, it's about the agreement on the resourcing. You might have so many active beds, but there's no point if you've got a, a, a 10, to 1, 10 to 1 patient, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, 10 patients to 1 nurse ratio that you're operating against when in fact you've agreed to a 4 to 1. You've got to have those that are formalised in your contract and agreement. Now, this means setting up contracts within a public system for working with your public institutions. It gives certainty to a hospital manager and it gives them certainty as to how they should operationalise it. And if they had boards, which would be a wonderful thing, recommended in 1996, 1997, the Taylor Committee of Inquiry in 2002, independent boards for autonomous decentralised public hospitals, including decentralised autonomous district health authority systems, recommended in 1994, 1995, 1996, 1997 white paper, never implemented. So these are all the things that we're hearing today as part of a, of a sort of rather opaque green paper, which in many cases have been made before, were never implemented for some unknown reason, and now we're returning to them in a very, very unclear way. Now, what does need to happen is a systematic, reform-by-reform reform assessment of what is proposed for our health system, and people need to agree to it. For one thing, if I want to use a public hospital, I want an independent board running that hospital, and I want that board to be able to fire the chief executive if they perform badly. I want a regulator outside of that hospital who is able to investigate that hospital if there's a performance problem. And I don't want them to be interfered by an ME, with by an MEC or somebody from Latuli House. They must be able to perform their functions and, and, uh, and independently and take action that even the board can't control. That's an accountability framework. If we have a district health authority, we should have people who are representatives of the community on a board who are part of a process as well as other people who are part of that who are also independently placed on that board and structured. The design of such structures are worthy of extensive public consultation and discussion. And we don't have them. Now, various frameworks were proposed in 1997 for potential board designs and structures, which were all shelved for some unknown reason when the 2003 National Health Act came out. And the, largely the reason for that was because it would have cut through the politicisation of the, of, of the delivery system, the health delivery system. It would have cut into the political patronage that operates that has destroyed the performance of our public health and education systems. The reasons why our public provincial systems have failed is not because we don't have a national purchaser, it is because we have a fundamental governance failure which is an institutional problem which requires reform. And it requires political will to do it and the question really is whether there is sufficient political will to deal with that particular issue because it is the, it is the elephant in the room in changing what's going on within the system. And if we implement a national fund which essentially accumulates 200 billion rands worth of expenditure to buy services from the entire health system, the potential for patronage in such a structure is immense. And therefore, if it were a correct and valid institutional uh, arrangement, a valid one, 
then that discussion around the governance structure must make it impervious to capture. But there has been no discussion. There has been no discussion today. And in all the discussions that I've had to date on this particular matter, it is the one thing that people have held fast on within government on this particular issue. There will be political appointments. Um, I will make one further um, uh, discussion on the issue of medical schemes in the private sector. One of the concerns with national health insurance reforms was that they were originally proposed and thought by many people to eliminate the existence of medical schemes within 12 months. This was the view, not necessarily by everybody who understands it, but the view of quite a lot of political players involved. As a consequence, the medical schemes amendment reforms, which were to go through in 2008, dealt with establishing a number of reforms that would have helped maintain costs, improve risk pooling in that environment and access. They are not the major systemic reforms, but they prevent the same kind of abuse in the medical scheme system that people are experiencing in the public hospital system and the public health system. They were withdrawn under the assumption that there would be no medical schemes. Now, the reality is that to have a coherent universal coverage option in South Africa, you will be dealing with multiple mechanisms. What government has to do is exercise appropriate stewardship over the entire rights-based framework that it has in South Africa. And it has failed to do so in the case of medical schemes and it exposes 8.5 million people to failure in that system. So our problem is that we've essentially got an, a, a, a tenth province in the, in the health system, which is the medical scheme system. The question is, do we just want to add that to as another province that fails? Or do we actually want to make it one that succeeds as well? In terms of overall systemic reform and where we want to go with our health system, it is absolutely appropriate that we develop our public sector to its full potential and expand it to, to achieve universal coverage uh, through a single mechanism for many of the benefits, but that is not going to be realised overnight. It is going to be many, many years. There are so many problems to solve. The public health system is so far away from, from where one wants, to, wants it to be, a well-functioning health system. It has gone down so far that it needs to be repaired. Now, the question is, are we going to send the medical scheme systems down that road as well and then have to repair everything at some point in time? Now, one of the key problems, and this is what I'll leave with, is that there has been specific policy paralysis in all the systemic issues of health systems reform. That doesn't have to include creating a national health insurance fund. It deals with the issues of governance structures. It deals with the issue of budgeting systems. It deals with the issue of defining norms and standards for systems. It deals with the issue of the accountability framework, including the regulators. And it deals with the issue of how you regulate a complex private health system. All of those things are problems that sit before us now, and they are problems that government for the last five years has ignored. And we've had not five years of turnaround according to the Green Paper proposal, in which we're trying to turn things around for five years before we kind of implement the next phase of NHI. What we've had is five years of deterioration in both systems, and we're not progressing. And if we carry on with another five years of paralysis, we are going to be in a worse position, and our options will get limited, more limited than they are now. I'll leave it there. <laughs>
Thank you very much, Professor Alex van Hever. He's Chair of Social Security Policy Management and Administration at the University of the Witwatersrand, talking largely about the loss of faith that the public have in the health system, talking about accountability, um, uh, you know, uh, proper allocation of funds and proper usage of funds, but we are seeing, as he says, an absence of a coherent accountability framework, and once we have that in place, then we can start talking about uh, how then do we move with regards to the other challenges that uh, we face in South Africa with regards to our health system, especially if we are looking at implementing universal coverage through NHI, as Professor Alex Fandenhever. We're going to take a short break, and uh, we will uh, be hearing from our third speaker a little bit later on, Professor Anna Nolte, Professor of Nursing Science, Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg. The city of Johannesburg is committed to improving the quality of life of its residents. The city is launching a number of critical infrastructure projects for sustainable development and economic growth. With good infrastructure and a thriving economy, the city will continue to be the gateway to Africa, a world-class events destination and a truly great place to visit, live, work and play. Joburg, improving quality of life through infrastructure development. Joburg, a world-class African city. The release on parole of a hardened gang boss, the gunning down of the young woman who put in behind bars, and double dealing by those supposed to protect her. There are people walking around among us, public office and in senior positions with the police and elsewhere, who are held in high regard and hold them, themselves forward as wonderful people who are doing very evil things. In the war between gangs and gangbusters, sometimes the worst casualty is the truth. Watch special assignments Thursday at 9.30 on SABC3. The Minister of Science and Technology is affording interested and affected persons in the Northern Cape Province a further opportunity by the closing date of the 5th of November 2013 to submit written representations on or objections to the intention to declare the Karoo and Sutherland Central Astronomy Advantage Areas. Notices have again been published in the Government Gazette and in newspapers. The Department will hold workshops in Kenhart, Carnarvon, Williston and Sutherland for persons who need special assistance in order to facilitate their participation in the consultation process. Details of the venues, days and times will be published in the next editions of the Noordwester and the Gemsbok. The Talk Shop this is the talk shop on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I am Masichaba Mdolo, and we're coming to you from the University of Johannesburg tonight. We're at the National Research Foundation's Science for Society lecture. The question on the table is, is South Africa ready for NHI and the implications it will have on private and public health care? We've heard from two of our speakers, Professor Diane McIntyre, South African Research Chair in Health and Wealth and Professor of Health Economics economics at uh, the University of Cape Town, and uh, we've just heard from Professor Alex van den Heever, Chair of Social Security Policy Management and Administration at the University of the Witwatersrand. We still have to hear from our third speaker, and we look forward to engaging with you. You've heard from uh, Professor van den Heever and Professor Diane McIntyre. What are your thoughts on the NHI? 
is it getting clearer now? The misunderstood points, are they better understood? What about the concerns that have been raised by Professor Fandenhiever looking at uh, the health system, how complex it is, and also the huge challenges facing our uh, public and private health systems? And, uh, of course, uh, talking about political interference and patronage being one of the major challenges that we are facing um, and asking how independent will the fund be? How independent will the fund be um, with regards to uh, it, how it's constructed, how it is governed, who will constitute, uh, who is sitting on uh, the, uh, as, as a member of the fund, raising some serious concerns here and raising also some of the experiences that we hear about from our listeners. Uh, the calls that we get uh, around your experiences of our public health care system, um, the frustrations that you face, the uh, institutional challenges that really talk to, um, you know, patients not having beds to sleep in, patients not having linen, not having uh, food, uh, shortage of nurses, nurses themselves, um, and medical staff being uh, under stress and, and really under-resourced, if one can put it that way. And, of course, uh, the challenge that we've been seeing um, around um, the drugs, the depots, how are they operating? And can we really expect that NHI is going to be dealing with these, system, these uh, systemic challenges that we face? Of course, we'll be taking your calls 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207, and, of course, taking your SMSs as well on 34701, SMS number is 34701 and SMSs are charged at 2 Rand. We'll also be hearing from some of uh, the guests that are here at the University of Johannesburg with us tonight. So we look forward to a robust discussion around the national health insurance. Uh, what, uh, one of the uh, points that has been raised is that the word insurance is causing confusion. Why use it? Why not change the word insurance so we better understand exactly what the intentions of NHI are? So we'll also be talking about this and various other points on your mind. 891 number to dial to join our conversation a little bit later on 0891-104-207 or SMS 34701 SMS number is 34701 and SMSs are charged at 2 Rand and I'm sure you're wondering why we're talking about national health insurance and there isn't a representative from the Department of Health well we do have somebody from the Department of Health joining us this evening they're just not on the panel so we'll also be hearing from them looking forward to your SMSs and calls and of course uh, the presentation that Professor Anna Nolte, Professor of Nursing Science, Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg, will be presenting to us right after the news with Sam Marshall.